All right, good morning again. If you have a Bible, you can open it to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, it's page 531. If you want to follow along, we'll be in a little section there in chapter 6. Page 531. We're going through the book of Proverbs this summer, and we've been trying to understand what it means to grow up. Um, We are demographically a very young city. I don't know if you realize that. One of the uh, younger cities when you compare it to other other uh, metro statistical areas, um, but we don't always mean growing up in a biological or time sense when we say growing up. When we talk about the idea of growing up biblically, we're talking about wisdom. And the Bible says that there's a way that seems right to a man, and in the end it leads to death. And that all of us, no matter how young or how old we are, need to learn wisdom. This is really strong in the first couple of chapters that uh, the simple need wisdom, right? Those of us that are dumb and don't know anything, we need wisdom, we need to grow up. But it also says the wise need more wisdom as well. So those of us that are mature, those of us that are immature, those of us that already have some wisdom, those of us that don't have very much wisdom at all, uh, need to come to God's Word and listen to what God has to say to us. The vision given in Psalm chapter 1 is that when we listen to God's Word, we're like a tree that has deep roots into the water and we have a strength We have shade to give, we have fruit that we can provide, and we have something to offer to other people. And so that's the biblical vision of wisdom that we're trying to learn from. As we look at Proverbs 6 today, we're going to be talking about the idea of work, uh, the concept of work. Work is something that is kind of misunderstood. A lot of times Christians believe that work is a result of the fall. Those of you, you know, sometimes we're we're kind of just uh, enough aware of the Bible to be dangerous, right? And so we have this memory that there's this curse that happened after the fall and uh, Adam was cursed and there'd be thorns and thistles in his work and there'd be pain in childbearing, right? And so we sometimes think that work was the curse when in fact work was a blessing that was given to Adam and Eve before sin ever entered in. And so we were designed from the very beginning to work. The problem is that our work has become cursed, right? Sin has made work a broken thing and there is pain, there's thorns and thistles when we work, uh, but work is a good thing in and of itself. We give glory to God when we work. Something that's really beautiful when you look at at Genesis and you compare it to other ancient religions. In other ancient religions, like if you think of Greek mythology or if you've ever read read some of the kind of uh, Mesopotamian stuff or any any of that weird stuff about the gods and how they operated, they were too good to work. I don't know if you've ever picked that up. Uh, They were above work, right? Work was something for the lower classes. And that was a, a viewpoint of a lot of the ancient Near Eastern religions. But in Genesis, we have this picture of a God who is holy and righteous and perfect, and he digs down into the dirt. He he digs down into the dirt, and he breathes life into it, and he makes man. Not ashamed to work. Uh, He blesses work. He says that work is a beautiful thing. We have this God that gets his hands dirty, and he says that we should be like him and be willing to get our hands dirty and be willing to work, and that we image him when we fill and form and create and we work in this world. So work can be a beautiful thing, but of course it is cursed, and the biggest problem with work is us, right? We're we're the biggest problem, and the way that Proverbs describes that is is being lazy, being a sluggard is the word they use for that. So if you'll read with me, let's read Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Again, it's on page 531 in the Black Bibles. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. It says, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, 
She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Let me pray for us that we would understand this today. God, we pray that you would teach us this morning. Um, God, I pray that my voice would last through the whole thing. Um, and we pray that we would hear from you, that your spirit would open up our, our minds and our hearts so that we would hear what you have to say and that you would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there are a lot of different times in my life where I learned to work hard, where I had good examples of what work looked like. Uh, for me, having good coaches was a great thing. I grew up with my dad not around most of my life, and so God blessed me with having some coaches that taught me that, you know what, if you work hard, that will pay off. Um, as you can see, it didn't always pay off like I wanted it to, but you know, you would have some success as, as you work hard in sports, you could improve, right? And so I began to learn that as a teenager playing sports. Um, but one of my great weaknesses in school was I really had this misunderstanding, kind of, kind of like these ancient religions where you kind of thought that, you know what, I'm, I'm above working hard academically because I'm, I'm smart enough to coast, right? And so I'm ashamed to admit that I thought because I could coast and make bees, and because God had just gifted me, I was just intelligent enough to kind of coast through school that I didn't have to work hard in school. And so I had this really twisted understanding of, of the gifts that he'd given me and how to apply myself with those gifts. And so ashamed to admit that I kind of coasted through high school. I mean, there were occasions where a teacher, you know, squeezed some hard work out of me here and there. But for the most part, kind of lazy with my academics. Uh, and again, not, not a good example to follow. I got married in college. And so this great blessing that God gave me was a Proverbs 31 woman. Yeah, amen. She, uh, there's this incredible woman, most, a lot of y'all know my wife, Autumn, and she is just a hard worker. So, you know, in Proverbs, we have the example of the aunt. Uh, I had the example, this visual example that lived with me every day of, of this wife, this wonderful, hardworking woman that God gave me. And I remember getting married in college, and she kind of would have all her books all organized, you know, she was, uh, I was the one that tried to get through school without ever buying a paper or a pen, you know, I just borrow from other people, and she was the one that would get annoyed with guys like me that, that borrowed those things, and so we're, we're married and going into my junior year in college as a married person, so I'm living with her, seeing these hardworking habits that she has. She's just, she's looking up the syllabus and she's planning ahead, she's putting things on her calendar uh, to prepare ahead of time for what's due later on. Some of you are like, that's horrible. What? What is this? this? I mean, she's, she's thinking it all through. She's getting out her books. She's reading. She's taking notes. She's underlining stuff. And I just thought, I mean, it's weird, but maybe I should try it. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe I should try this. And God has used that in, in my life to help me uh, to grow. I mean, a lot of what I do as a preacher now, my daily work is to study. And I would have never learned to study if God hadn't given me that wonderful woman who studied right? And so God gave me that beautiful example. I began to learn how to work hard in different areas of my life, right? It wasn't just you work hard here, you work hard there, but God began to grow me in my understanding of what it meant to apply myself into work. I began to understand how to glorify God with the gifts that he'd given me. The call that we have is to work hard in whatever we do, to apply ourselves in whatever area God's gifted us to glorify him. And as I said, the difficulty we have is our own laziness, right? We have our own laziness, our own sluggishness, to fight against. 
And so the uh, author of Proverbs is going to call us to some examples here. The first thing that he calls us to is the example of the ant. The ants are our example of hard work. It's this beautiful example of this internally motivated animal, right? This little bug. And really it shames us as the height of creation, right? We're the, we're the most important creature that God has made as people, right? God has made us to image him, to have dominion over the other little creatures, and here this ant shames us when we're lazy because this ant just works hard. It just does what it needs to do. Uh, read again verses 6 through 8 with me. It says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Just pay attention to this dumb little bug and, and maybe you'll understand better how you should live your life. It says, Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. We have a, I grabbed a picture here of some ants. These are uh, leaf cutter ants, I believe. I just thought they looked cool because they were carrying the giant leaves on their backs. Um, probably what he's talking about here in Proverbs is a common ancient Near East ant called the harvester ant who was known for harvesting, for collecting things and storing it up. So it's this beautiful example. If any of you ever like gone in the backyard when you were a kid or, or maybe as an adult and you've stirred an ant pile with a stick, right? I mean, they, they move around, right? They're busy. They're not just hanging out going, what's up? Right? I mean, they're, they're moving, they're building things, they're digging holes. Any of you ever had an ant farm? You had one of those? The glass thing? Yeah, some of y'all had those. And they're just going at it, right? They're working. I actually did some research this, this uh, week on ants, you know, Googling, do ants sleep? Found some, some British articles. They've done some research. They, they have found that ants do sleep, uh, but it's just like in little bursts, you know, like they'll sleep for like a minute. And they still do some things, but they just basically slow down. You know, it's kind of like a nap on the way, getting some other things done. And then they go back to work and they get busy again. So, so they do something like a, a sleep, you know, that it kind of approximates, approximates we'd call rapid eye movement. They have a rapid antenna movement and some, some things like that. So I'm totally serious. That sounded like a joke, but really, I, I read it this week. Um, and so there's, there's some research that's been done on ant sleep. So apparently they do sleep, but it's just a little bits here and there. And then they go back at it. And they just stay busy. He gives two specific examples here that I think we should follow of, of how an ant works. The first one is they have no leader telling them what to do. And I think this is really, really key for us to understand because that's, that's an excuse that we use a lot of times that, well, I'm not, I'm not in charge, right? I don't know if you've ever said that kind of thing. Or it's, it's not really my responsibility or, or it's not my place. Sometimes it can, it can seem spiritual and humble to talk this way. Uh, one of the things I hear uh, in the military world sometimes is, that's not in my lane. Have you ever heard that before? That, that's not in my lane. And I, I understand sometimes you're going to get in trouble if you do something that you're not supposed to do, right? But a lot of times we just use that as an excuse. And so we're called, us lazy humans, we're called to go look at the ant and look at how the ant is industrious and doesn't wait for some foreman, some officer, some leader to say, hey, you, go over here and do that. We should have some initiative, and so we should be like the ant who, who takes charge and says, hey, that needs to be done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do it. I'm going to take care of it. And that should mark us as God's people. If we want to image God, if we want to be like Him, then we should see what needs to be done and do it. That's one, of the, that's one of the examples that we get from the ant. The other thing we see is the whole planning ahead concept. This preparing in season, right? It talks about the different seasons here, and they don't really line up with our seasons because the Middle East, their harvesting seasons are different. Um, but we get this concept of, of the seasonal work and the planning ahead in verse 8 and 9. She prepares her bread 
in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. So just there in verse 8. She's preparing her bread in the summer. She's gathering her food in the harvest. She's storing things up. Are you thinking about what's coming next? Are you thinking about the next phase of your life? Uh, Are you thinking about next week even? Right? I mean, these are marks of maturity. If you want to grow up, you need to start thinking beyond just today. You need to stop waiting for people to tell you what to do. You need to start thinking ahead and seeing what needs to be done and planning ahead. Now, when taken too far, this can look like what we would call obsessive-compulsive disorder, right? Where you think you control everything, where you think you are God. Uh, and so we'll get, that, get to that in a minute. But the example here is that we would take some initiative, that we would work, that we would be busy, that we would look out and say, what needs to be done? What can I do? How can my gifts apply to this situation? What can I do to clean up, to make things better? We've talked over the last several weeks about the vision that God gives us of, of being kings and queens, of being gardeners, of, of bringing life, of bringing order. Uh, how are you going to do that in your life? We have to think ahead. If we want to grow up, we have to start doing things, these things. Ephesians 4.28 says that the result of this storing up and this working hard is that then you have something to offer other people. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but let him work with his hands. Let him do something productive. And if you start working with your own hands and doing something productive, it says in Ephesians 4.28, then you'll have something to share with those in need. So you'll have something extra even to be a blessing to other people. Again, going back to that theme that we've talked about in Proverbs, that, that wisdom looks like being fruitful. Wisdom looks like having something to spare. You are strong, strong enough to take care of yourself, your own family, but then you also have something to benefit and bless other people. And that's God's vision for us as his people. That we would be the kind of people that take care of our own stuff and then we're also generous to those others and help others along the way. And we point people to him and show how good he is in the process. Well, the next thing that we need to talk about is sleep, right? Sleep is the opposite of work, okay? There's these, different, these two different words in the Hebrew. It's basically sleep and slumber, which kind of like in English. They both basically mean, this, mean the same thing. Um, they mean uh, not working, being still, closing your eyes, resting. Um, and sleep is not always a bad thing. Uh, but remember, again, the primary audience of Proverbs is the young man. Uh, and so probably for the young man it is, right? For the young man, he needs to, to get his button gear and get out there and get something done, right? And so it's this general advice that we're given here to be careful about sleep. It says in verse 9, <clears throat> How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? How long will you, will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? I have a picture here of a, of a guy who's having a hard time staying with it. Um, not that we haven't all been there before. He's got you know, a cup of coffee in each hand, trying to do what it takes to get going. Sometimes you know, we, we drink the coffee, we drink the Red Bull, we drink the Monster. We do what we need to do to stay awake, to get the work done. I think a lot of times it's because we're out of balance, right? We're not sleeping at night, so then it makes us want to sleep during the day, and then our whole system gets all jumbled. I would say there's a, there's a general balance here. There's a general rhythm that we see when we look at the, uh, the Old Testament. You see this rhythm of rest and work. And so if you're a sluggard, you need to understand that God wants you to work six days a week, right? Sunrise to sundown, that's the expectation, that you work during the day. And then we sleep at night, and then the Old Testament practices, then you rest one day a week. 
They also threw in on top of that 18 uh, festival days throughout the year at other times as well. So if you're obsessive compulsive and you think you control everything and you can't rest, right? You're too important to ever rest. Then you need to stop and recognize, no, no, God gives sleep to those he loves. That's what it says in Psalm 127. You need to stop and rest. And there's this weekly practice called Sabbath that we see in the Old Testament where his people are just supposed to stop and rest and they honor God by doing that. Now, again, there's some of us that need to hear, you need to work six days a week, right? Some of us need to hear that. You need to work six days a week and then some of us need to hear, and you need to rest too. You need to rest. There's a a rhythm that we see in the Old Testament. Now, I, I believe that we're no longer, you know, under the law in the same way. We're not, we're not the Old Testament people, Israel, right? We are the New Testament people, the church under Christ's new covenant. He died and resurrected the new covenant in his blood. We're going we're gonna to look at that as we celebrate communion, right? But I think when you look at the Old Testament and you look at the law of Sabbath, it's really interesting. Different denominations have a million different views on it. But it's funny that we would argue about uh, this one law that says, just relax, right? And, and that's the one that people fight over and they're like, well, I'm holier than you because I relax this way. And look at how I relax. And we turn the relaxing into a work. And so I would just say, let's, let's back up from it a little bit and just say God's basic rhythm is work six days and rest, okay? I'm not going to tell you what day to do that on. I'm not going to tell you exactly how to do that. I'm just going to say that that's going to be a mark of having a life that's in balance. You'd be working very hard and you'd be resting and remembering that God's in control and you're not the one spinning all the plates, holding everything together. I think it's also important to note that there's a lot of things that we can do in life that mimic rest that are not really rest. And, and so I think one of the problems we have, one of the reasons we're out of balance in our rest, because there's all kinds of studies that have been done that, that show that people don't sleep right, like a lot of us have insomnia, a lot of us have these sleep disorders. And I think one of the things that we need to recognize are there, there are these rest-mimicking things that we do, right? TV sure none of you watch TV. Uh, Video games, probably none of you do that either. Um, Facebook, getting on the computer. These things mimic rest, but they're not rest. And we need to understand that. Um, Those are big time wasters that shut your brain down, right? So they eat away at your brain. They're, They're doing damage to us. They're not really helping us in any way. They're mimicking rest. They feel like rest, but they're more like a narcotic. They, they don't really rest our body. We don't really get that REM sleep, that rapid eye movement. We don't really get that rest that we need that you get only from good sleep. So you need to recognize that a lot of times we get fooled into thinking we're resting when we're really not. And then we're not sleeping well at night. And then we're not working hard during the day because our whole rhythm is off. And I would just recommend really taking a hard look at what those things do to your body and recognizing, is, is that rest to the glory of God or is that just one more addiction in our life? We just turn on the TV, that we just turn on Facebook, that we just turn on the video games and consider, what are the things that really help me to be more of a whole person that honor God? What are the things that help me to work hard and rest well? What are those things that I can do? There's three examples of having this out of balance in Proverbs that I want to just mention real quickly. One is in you don't necessarily have to look this up because there's a few different Proverbs that talk about this. But one is uh, Proverbs 26.14. It says that the sluggard is actually hinged to his bed. It says the sluggard is actually hinged to his bed. He flops back and forth. He's just hinged there. And so uh, Derek Kidner talks about this as a tragic uh, comic portrayal, right? It's comic. It's kind of funny, but it's also just disgusting, right? The person that just can never get out of bed. 
And I've shared with you guys before, I've struggled with depression in the past. So I, you know, I know that, that there are those times when, when you're stuck, right? But Proverbs would say, get out, go. You're not, not going to fix your problems there in the bed. The bed is not the solution. You may feel terrible, but just get moving, right? And pray that God would bring you help. Ask for help from your friends. But, but get out of the bed and don't just be stuck on that hinge flopping back and forth like it talks about in Proverbs 26.14. The other picture that it gives in Proverbs is in Proverbs 19.24. It talks about the guy that's eating and can't even bring his hand back out of a dish. You all ever seen that proverb before? Now, I, I've got kids, right? They're teenagers now. But when my kids were like one and two, sometimes that would happen. And it's pretty hilarious. Anybody have a one-year-old and, you know, they're, they're eating and then they just fall asleep with the chicken nugget in their hand, you know? And it's pretty cute, right? When your kid does that, it's cute. But if you're a grown-up and you're doing that, that's a problem, okay? That, that's when you know that there's a problem that needs to be dealt with. You know, you're asleep on the couch and the food is like spilled all over you and, um, it's, it's a bad idea. It's some, you, need, you need an intervention, okay? The, the last picture we have is in 22.13. I think this is, again, a repeated proverb, but it says that the sluggard says there's a lion outside. The excuse of there's a lion outside. I really connect with this one because I can be kind of a, uh, a planner, and so that's a gift that God's given me, right? I like to think about systems. I like to plan things out well, but sometimes it goes too far, and what happens is I'm just planning and I'm just thinking about hypotheticals and I'm not actually getting anything done, right? And so I, I can connect with there's a lion outside because as a planner, you think, well, there's, there's problems, right? There's variables. And if we have the right plan, we can, we can adjust for the variables. And, and what I want you to understand is, so this is not, I don't want to encourage those of you that are impulsive and never plan to just never plan again. Like the preacher said, planning is bad. So that's not what I'm trying to say, Okay. But I am saying sometimes it can be taken too far where we're just saying, you know what, bad things might happen, so I'm not going to get out the door. I'm not going to go out there. I'm not going to just do it. I'm not going to take the risk. What we see in Matthew 25 is that if we really believe that God is generous, we will step out and take risks. We will invest the talents that he's given us, knowing that this is a dangerous world. So my answer to the slugger that says there might be a line outside is, Yes, there is. There's a lot of lions. So the challenge of Proverbs is how are we going to work in a world where there are lions? How are we going to get out there and take risks and do things and not just keep making up excuses and saying, well, I don't know. I don't know about doing it this way or doing it that way. I need to change. I need to plan some more. I need to perfect it some more. I don't know if it's time yet to get out the door. We need to get out the door. We need to, we need to do it. We need to move. We need to work. Again, we need to image our God who gets his hands dirty and breathes life into us and makes something useful. We need to reflect that kind of God in the world, the God of generosity, the God of creativity. He says, I'm going to love you and I'm going to take care of you. So because of that, even though there are lions outside, even though there is evil in the world, there are people that are going to rob you. There are people that are going to destroy what you've made, but it's still worth it. You need to get out there and make something. You need to get out there and do something with the gifts that I've given you. Well, the last thing I want us to think about is the idea of poverty that's given to us here in this last little couple of verses. Um, poverty, basically, in the Hebrew, there's two words that are used here in these two verses. One is poverty and one is want. And those two words can, can mean uh, just not having anything, right? Want is just kind of a lack of something. You don't have enough, right? You're in want is an old way of saying, I don't have any food, right? Or I don't have any clothes. 
Um, the other word poverty means just specifically being poor in general, or it can mean just complete decay and destitution, right? Being completely broken, hitting the, hitting the bottom. And so this idea is in verses six, or, or chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. It says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And so here this verse is, is saying uh, that this is what's going through your mind, right? Again, we need to be careful and take Proverbs in uh, context. It's not saying don't ever sleep. It's not saying don't ever rest, right? The, the context we already have is the normal rhythm of work six days, sleep at night, rest one day a week, have some holidays throughout the year. There, there's a normal rhythm there that, that Proverbs assumes. But what happens is beyond that normal rhythm, we have this, this thing going in our head that says, oh, just a, little, just a little more rest, right? Let me just snooze a little while longer, the evil of the snooze. I never feel better after I snooze. Do you? I mean, I don't, maybe once ever it made me feel better. Um, but it's just a little voice that goes through your head, just a little rest, a little slumber. And then it says the way that poverty and want comes in is going to seem violent. It's going to seem scary. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come upon us like a, a robber. Poverty will come upon you like a robber, want like an armed man. I have a picture here of someone with a machine gun robbing uh, a bank. Um, now, the, the wisdom literature of the Bible is clear that, that it's not uh, absolute 100% that if you work hard, nothing bad will ever happen, right? Because there is that place for uh, external evil coming in a real robber can come in, right? We talked about this just a second ago with the lion, right? There are bad things out there. We're going to go work. We're going to be productive. We're going to build something great. And lions can come and eat it. Robbers can come and steal, right? But what it's saying is that we can use that as an excuse. We can say, well, let me just rest a little while. And when we use that, those kind of things as an excuse, then all of a sudden that happens to us. We've, we've brought it on ourselves, and so the, the view of Proverbs is that generally, generally, again, not absolutely, generally poverty is a result of our own sin. Now again, I, I understand this is a kind of a big, touchy subject in our culture because I know there is such a thing as external evil where someone's done something bad to you and you're poor because evil has happened to you. I understand that. The Bible understands that. But again, the general way that things work in this culture at this time, and I believe in our culture at this time, is, is generally... Most of the poverty is a, is a result of, of our own laziness. We have a lot of opportunities to work out of that poverty. And so that's, that's the biblical worldview. Again, that, that doesn't mean bad things don't happen to people and you can't work hard and then have something come in and tear it all away. That's happened. Probably happened to all of us. But what happens then is that that becomes an excuse and we say, well, just forget it, right? That ever happened to you? Sometimes that's called a, a frustrated perfectionist. That's, that's kind of my temperament. Sometimes I go, well, if it's going to it's going to get messed up. I just don't want to try, right? There's a lion outside. And we're, saying, we're doing the same thing again. Instead of pulling ourselves back up, saying, you know what? God is good. I don't know why that evil thing happened. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to work again. And this makes the most sense, I think, in the agricultural imagery that we have in the Old Testament. Since most of us don't work in agriculture, we don't necessarily understand how this works. But there's a huge trust element when you're farming, Right? I mean, you're going out and you, you have to dig and you have to plant and you have to water and you have to weed and you have to do all these things and, and still there's all these external, external elements that we don't really control. You're still trusting God to, to make it grow. 
God asks us to work. God doesn't say wait to work until you know there's going to be no external threats, until you know you're going to have guaranteed success, until you know everything's going to be all right, because that's not the world that we live in. We live in an evil world where there are lions, where there are robbers. And so if we sit back and say, you know, I'm not going to do it because it's not the right time yet, and we hem and we haw and we make excuses, then, then that evil is going to come upon us. That poverty will come upon us like a bandit. And so the view of Proverbs is that um, poverty is a result of laziness. It might be our own laziness, or it might be a result of the bandit's laziness. There might be a real bandit that's lazy, and so he steals from us, or it may be our own. Because of our own laziness, it swoops in and takes us by surprise like an armed robber. Well, I want to wrap up uh, just considering um, Jesus' view of this whole concept of work. Because there was this group of people in Jesus' time uh, that worked better than anybody else. Uh, you may be familiar if you've read the New Testament, this group of guys called the, the Pharisees, right? And they exceeded the holiness of anyone else. And they were the hardest workers. So I know some of you, when we, we do a sermon on work, you're thinking, hey, man, I'm a pretty hardworking guy, right? I'm a pretty hardworking woman. I've got my stuff together. Uh, and I would just caution you um, that Jesus, when he met people like that, he said, be careful. Because none of us really have our stuff together. What happens is we can work really hard in two or three areas and think that we've got it all together, but we're completely neglecting another, right? A lot of times some of us are really good at getting tasks done, but we really don't care for people. Or maybe we're really good at stopping and giving time uh, to people, but we just kind of let the tasks all fall apart. Um, there's, only one, there's only one person that did it all right. His name is Jesus. He, he gives this beautiful story in Luke 15 where he, he contrasts uh, just the profligate sinner, we call him the prodigal son, right? He goes out and spends everything that his father gave him and he wastes it all. He's, he's just the obvious sinner. And he contrasts that one with the older brother who doesn't want to celebrate with the father when he welcomes the son back home, who doesn't want to go into the party and enjoy his father's goodness. He's bitter because he sees his hard work through a lens of, Father, you owe me. And so Jesus is always challenging us and saying, you know what? Even if you work hard, it's not enough because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so I just want to warn all of us who, who take pride in our work to say, let's not become like that older brother that says, I've got my stuff together. It's, it's these bad people over here. They're the problem. And that older brother wanted the father's things more than he wanted the father. He left the party. He departed from the father's presence. And so we need to recognize that there's only one who's really done the work. There's only one who's really done the work. The active and perfect obedience of Jesus Christ is what wins us uh, restoration and health and life in the presence of God for all eternity. Not because of the work we've done, but because of the work that He has accomplished on our behalf. Let me pray for us, and then we'll share in communion as we remember this together. God, we thank You that You did the work and God, I pray that even though it seems like a paradox, that as we recognize that you've done the work for us to purchase our life, that as we recognize that, God, that we would become hard workers, that we would freely spend the talents you've given us, that we would look like the picture in Matthew 25, where we spend and invest and take risks because we know that you are generous and you are good. And you're the one that gave us the gifts in the first place. So God, help us to work hard 
and to image you. And we thank you that we can do that because of the work of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.